Uh, moving right along to our message, I think that's great. I've planned things this morning. Connect head for us, uh, Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 50. And I want to focus on verse 50 this morning. When Jesus said, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty? In other words, if salt loses its flavor, then what good is it? Jesus was talking to his disciples, and when he called them salt, he was complimenting them. To us today, salt doesn't mean much. I mean, we use it in, in, in you know, cooking and in eating our food and for preservative and for other things, but it isn't valuable at all. In fact, salt is pretty cheap. One of the few things that is still pretty cheap. But back then, salt was, was a valuable item. So when he called them salt, he was complimenting them. A long time ago, there was a king who asked his three daughters, how much do you love me? And his first daughter said, I love you more than all the gold in the world. His second daughter said, I love you more than all the silver in the world. And then the youngest daughter said, Dad, I love you more than salt. Now to us that sounds humorous, and he wasn't very happy with that answer either. The cook, meanwhile, was in the background, and he overheard this conversation, and he thought, well, well, maybe we can show the king what that means. And so, he prepared his next meal without using any salt. The king got his meal and began to eat it, and the food was so bland that he didn't enjoy it at all. And then the cook said, see what she means when she tells you that she loves you more than all the salt in the world? You made much to it. After that, he understood the value of salt. In the ancient world, salt was very valuable, and it was very hard to get. It was used as currency, believe it or not, in some societies, in some countries, for a very long time. During an invasion of Ethiopia in the late 19th century, Italian soldiers found blocks of salt in safes with much, with very valuable items like gold and silver and all of that. There were blocks of salt as well. Jesus was paying his disciples a compliment, a great compliment. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But then he asked, what good is it if it loses its flavor, if it no longer seasons the food like it used to? Well, what he is saying to his followers, both those people 2,000 years ago that he was talking to, and I believe to us today, is what good is it to be a follower of mine if there's nothing different about your life? If by you're, you call yourself my follower, but you don't love others, you don't care for others, you don't contribute to the good in this world, if your actions in your life aren't making a difference to people around you, then what is really the use of calling yourself a disciple? What good is our faith if we don't love and care for other people? 
I read somewhere that a Guinness record had been set for the shortest sermon ever. It seems an Episcopalian priest stepped up to his pulpit, looked at his people, spoke into the mic and said this, love. And then he went and sat back down. I know exactly what he's thinking. His eyes lit up. I was thinking, you know what? It'd be really great if you do that one of these weeks. <laughs> I'm around him too much. I can almost read his mind. I knew exactly what he would have said if he could have. <laughs> but it is, he didn't. He did say that, he did say what is the heart of our faith today. The whole purpose of our Christian faith today is to show the world the love of God. We say loving God, loving people. That's kind of our mantra around here. That's what we do. We love God, we love people. And it's an invitation to other people to receive that love and then to share it with us. And then take it out and share it with more. That's what we're all about. That's what we do. There was a pastor that I've told you about in the past, some of the crazy antics he used to do. But uh, his name was Dr. E.B. Hill. He was one of my favorite pastors to listen to for a very long time. But he was a beloved pastor that served a church in the Watts District in Los, uh, Los Angeles, California. And this was during the burnings and the lootings and the riots that were all taking place in the 1960s. Well, Dr. Hill was, he did something that was very painful for him to do. He spoke out against the people who lived in his neighborhood. He said that what they were doing was wrong because they were destroying property and they were looting and stealing things from stores when they had these riots. And so during the worst part of the rioting, this kind of, uh, these kind of things that he was saying and this kind of preaching was beginning to uh, irritate people and he was getting threats to him and to his family and to his church. And the worse the rioting got, the more he spoke out against what they were doing. Not that they didn't have the right to demonstrate, because they did, but the things they were doing alongside him, we've seen this in recent years. The same kind of thing happening. And so he publicly, publicly condemned them for what they were doing. And these were, you know, his people, people in his community. And one night his phone rang, and his wife noticed that as he listened to the caller, he had a very solemn look on his face, very serious look. He hung up. She said, Who was that? What was that all about? And he said, Nothing. Well, being the good wife that she was, she kept at it. She kept asking him until finally he told her, someone just called and threatened to blow up our car with me in it. And so late into the night, they discussed how they might prevent that from happening and came to the conclusion that there, there's, not, there's no way they're going to be able to watch their car. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so the next morning, Dr. Hill got out of bed 
And he looked around, he didn't see his wife. He went into the kitchen, and she wasn't there. And looked outside, the car wasn't in the airport where it usually is. And of course, he became very alarmed. A few minutes later, he saw his car roll into the driveway. His wife was driving. He said, what are you doing? And she said, well, I took the car around the block to make sure it would be safe for you to drive later this morning. From that day on, Dr. Hill said, I never, ever asked my wife if she loved me. He saw her love in action. And that's what the world needs today. The world needs to see our love in action. There's an old story about a pastor who said that he always said he loved children and had great love for children. Well, he poured a new, had a new sidewalk in front of his house. And he looked out the window and saw some children that wet cement, writing their names and you know, doing what kids do with wet cement, they have a good chance. He went outside and he yelled at them. And one of the parents came back later to his house and said, Pastor, I thought that you liked children. And he said, well, I love children in an abstract way, but not in concrete. <laughs> There's your terrible joke. You know, the world is looking for a real concrete demonstration of Christian love and action. The world needs it now more than it has ever needed. We need to always be looking for ways that we can encourage and demonstrate that kind of love to people. Talk is cheap. Action is what counts. We can put on our sign, and it is on our sign, that all are welcome. But what happens when they show up? You know, those people. We can say we love everyone. But what about when somebody hungry comes to our door? Are we suspicious? Are we not going to help them because we think maybe they might be scamming us? Are we going to, or are we going to find a way to help them, make sure that they are using that help? and go ahead and help them. Love and action. There was a preacher who preached a sermon called The Great Importance of Little Deeds. And he ended his sermon by saying this, quote, it's an exciting thought that when we die and come into the presence of God in all its fullness, it will not be our major achievements that speak for us. He was president of a corporation she was the first woman senator from our state. He was the author of 22 books. None of that would matter, but the small, seemingly unimportant things that we did, and we long ago forgot about it. He mowed my lawn when I was sick. He gave me a ride to the store. She cared for my child when I ran, while I ran in some areas. He sent me flowers when I needed them most. He called me 
just to see how I was doing. She helped me with my laundry when I couldn't get to the basement. These are the little things that hold the world together. They are the small stones that make up the great cathedrals where God is worshipped. This is when real worship of God takes place. Yes, it happens here when we gather together. But the greatest worship, I believe, of God and the most honor was to Him when we are doing things for other people, when we are doing things to advance the kingdom of God. The minister said, they shall be remembered like stars in the crown of the saints. The world needs desperately to see our love in action. Of what value is our faith if our love isn't stronger? Our love for one another, our love for others in the world. Our love to need, needs to be big enough to take in the whole world, even those people we think aren't so nice, or they don't smell so good or look so good. Everyone. I enjoy reading about Abraham Lincoln. There's a story of two women relatives of General Lou Wallace who came to the White House when Lincoln was president, and they were asking about General Wallace. He had been involved in a very violent, vicious battle, and they had heard that someone named Wallace was killed, and they wanted to know if he had survived. And President Lincoln said, yes, they did. He did survive. It was a different man named Wallace that was killed. And they said, oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness a different Wallace died. It wasn't our Wallace. Abraham Lincoln's response was, yes, but it was somebody's Wallace, wasn't it? Love can be so petty, can be so self-centered sometimes. If our love isn't deep and sincere, how much is our faith really worth? And finally, what good is our Christian faith? if the salt stays in the salt chamber. Here we are this morning, gathered together, and every Sunday morning we gather together in our salt chamber. And there we are all together, enjoying one another's company, worshiping God, singing together, hearing a word. All of those things are wonderful. But unless we take those things we learn, we take that love to the world, what good? Is it? Salt doesn't exist for its own good. Salt exists to season, to be spread. This is an exciting time to be a follower of Christ. How can I say it's an exciting time? Well, it is. It's a great opportunity. It's a good opportunity to reach out to the world and to be an example and to show love to others. According to ecologists and natural scientists, about 117 billion people have walked this earth since the beginning of time. 117 billion. The present population is about 7.9 billion and growing very, very fast. That means that around 6% of everyone who ever lived is alive right now. What an opportunity a greater opportunity than any, any generation has ever had before us 
to be salt, to be leaven, to be light. Notice salt, leaven, and light are all three metaphors that Jesus uses that are they penetrate. We are here like the salt penetrates the meat, the leaven penetrates the loaf, the light penetrates the darkness. We are here to penetrate the world in which we live. If we don't, of what value is our faith but to share the love of God? There was a man named Frank Sosienski who was a postman in Louisville, Kentucky, who didn't want to deliver all of his mail. And so he started collecting in his attic. And he would deliver some and throw some up there that he didn't feel like dealing with. When it was finally discovered that he was doing this, they found 1,200 bags of mail in his house that he had not delivered. He was charged with uh, delaying the mail attempt for delivery. His job was to get the mail through, to get it delivered. What good is a mailman who doesn't, or a mail, how do I say that? A postal carrier, male or female, if they don't deliver the mail. What good is salt if it doesn't season? What good are we if we keep God's love to ourselves? and keep it within the walls of the church and don't share it with the rest of the community and the rest of the world. It reminds me of Rudyard Kipling's famous poem, Mulholland's Vow. Mulholland had a job, and his job was to handle sheep on a large ship. And one night out at sea, a storm broke out and it knocked the ship around so fiercely that some of the steers broke loose. And they began running around and stampeding all over the ship's deck. He didn't know what to do. And so he made a bargain because he was fearing for his own life and the life of others. And he said, God, if you will save us from dying, I will go out and serve you and tell others all about you. Well, God kept his part of the bargain. And he survived. And he was able to get the sheep or the uh, cattle herded. No one was hurt. When Mulholland got back to land, he began to keep his part of his promise by going to serve God in a land where nobody knew him. That's what he planned on doing. But God had other plans. And he told the sailor, back you go to the cattle boats to preach, to share my love with the people there. His witness was to be with those that he knew and those who knew him. That's what God calls us to be. To be salt where we are. In our own neighborhoods. With our own families. With a higher standard for living. Not a higher standard of living. It's nice if you can afford a high standard of living. But it's a higher standard of living. A higher standard for living is much better. And much more important. Even better. Is a high standard for loving. Then we don't have to worry that the salt won't get out of the shaker. Loving God. Loving people. That's what we say. Let's be the salt.
Let's get it out of the shoe.